Well, good evening. It is good to see you all out this evening, despite the uh, potential uh, distractions. I will let you know that the game is over. So no matter what happened, I'm not going to tell you. No matter what happened, it will no longer change, at least. So there's no reason for distraction, right? Uh, We'll take your Bibles tonight. We're going to turn into them. We're going to first turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, we, will, we will begin there in just a few moments. And as we do so, I'm not able to connect tonight for whatever reason, so thank you very much. As we do so, we are working through this theme of foundations. And we started it on Sunday morning, kind of worked through the idea of hearing and listening uh, to God's Word as it is preached and proclaimed. And so we've been, we were building a case for how we should listen to a sermon and how we should then respond to it, becoming hearers who are doers also. And then we had a week off unexpectedly and uh, not by our design. Uh, in fact, I remember sitting out here in the parking lot a week ago on Sunday afternoon trying to figure out if we could at least have evening service And as I came up from door, I said, you know, the roads that had been somewhat uh, more able to be traveled on in the morning had deteriorated throughout the day, and they were now ice instead of just drift. And so I said, despite my great yearning to do that, we had to cancel last Sunday evening as well. And so uh, all of that has been kind of just building up to this point to where we're going to study what really is our theme for this year. If we're going to be faithful hearers and doers of the Word of God, that means we will be faithful disciplers. We will be those who are faithful in the discipleship process, and there is more than one part to this message. So tonight we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty definitions, some of the harder stuff to get through, so that we can begin to look into examples that are found in Scripture. And so in the weeks to come, We'll be looking into examples of how uh, different individuals were disciple makers and then how disciples responded to that. As we do that, I want us to recognize that in order to be a faithful church, we will be a church who evangelizes and a faithful church who disciples. That's the definition of a faithful church. We have to do both. So we're going to get into some of the hard work of understanding what it is. Libraries, literally libraries, have been written on this subject. And we want to recognize that there's a lot of that that's good, but we want to turn back to the pages of Scripture and understand what discipleship is from God's Word. So tonight, that is what we are endeavoring to do while we establish some definitions, some hard work to understand what is a disciple, what is a discipler, And what is discipleship? That is where we'll go in just a moment. But here's why we do this. In 1930s, a young California lumberyard worker caught a vision. After seeing the benefits of basic discipleship principles in his own life, Dawson Trotman wanted to teach others, uh, wanted to teach them to others. He echoed the call of 2 Timothy 2.2, and I'm going to read that for you. That's where I wanted to start here this evening, 2 Timothy 2.2, where This is kind of the idea as Paul is instructing Timothy and he says this, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Generational discipleship is what Paul is calling Timothy to. This is what Trotman began to discover. And uh, he 
began to then reach out to others. Dawson began teaching high school students in local Sunday school classes, and he began to teach them these principles of discipleship. In 1933, he and his friends extended their work to the sailors in the U.S. Navy. There, Dawson taught sailor Les Spencer the foundations of Christian growth. They spent many hours together praying, studying the Bible, and memorizing Scripture. When one of Spencer's shipmates asked him what the secret of his changed life was, Spencer brought the man to Trotman and said, teach him what you taught me. (laughs) Trotman said, you teach him. And the second Timothy 2-2 vision was strengthened. Spencer did teach the sailor, and soon the two men were meeting with others. Eventually, 125 men on their ship, the USS West Virginia, were growing in Christ and actively sharing their faith. 125. By the end of World War II, thousands of men on ships and bases around the world were learning the principles of spiritual multiplication by person-to-person teaching of God's Word. Trotman would go on as he continued discipling others, not just Spencer, but many others, and he would go on and eventually found the Navigators in Colorado Springs. And this comes from their website. Everything I just read to you comes from their website. It is fascinating to me that these men, Spencer and Trotman, would start with just one one relationship. And that one-on-one relationship would eventually go to one and two. And then that would be one and 25, 125 rather. And then it would go on to thousands That is what God has called us to do in discipleship as a church. And one person that had you not known, in fact, you probably did not know Trotman's name until I told you who he was. And he goes on to found one of the leading discipleship ministries in the world in Navigators. And so we praise the Lord for these faithful ones who were faithful and diligent in discipling others, teaching others, the principles of discipleship. And that is what we want to do this year as we've looked ahead and we've asked the question, what should we as a church do to begin reaching Generation Beta? Generation Beta is not even here yet. Generation Alpha is almost completed. By 2025, January 1st of 2025, less than a year from now, the first children of Beta generation will begin to be born. So how do we as a church reach all of the generations, from the great generation to generation beta. The, re, the way that we're going to reach them is through discipleship. And so tonight, as we begin to dig into this most important uh, action that the church can engage in, let us ask the Lord's blessing on our time as we spend in His Word, as well as understanding these principles. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise You and thank You for the privilege of digging into a theme that is so vitally important, it was named among the Great Commission to evangelize and to disciple. Lord, there have been multiple volumes written on the issue of discipleship, some with very complicated, complex systems of discipleship, some with very simple instructions on how to lead another. But Lord, we want to understand what your word says, and so We want to be found faithful in understanding the goals that we should have in place as we seek to do tonight. I ask that you would give us understanding hearts as we dig into some of the introduction material to this tonight. We recognize that by no means will will we be exhaustive, but we seek to be found faithful. 
Cause us to glorify you in all that we do and say, that you alone would be glorified. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the privilege that it is to be the ones who can lead another generation in godliness. Lord, what a privilege it is for us to pour into another person, another individual that you're using for your glory, and to teach them how to be more like Christ. Pray that we would not make it overly complicated but that we would not stop short of what we need to do either. And that your name would be glorified not only in what we hear, that we would interact with it well, and that, again, you would be exalted because we were faithful to you. So, Lord, we give you the glory and the honor in all of these things, and we ask your blessing upon them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tonight, we recognize that all believers are called to be disciples who disciple others. That's the second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2. You are to be a disciple who disciples others. There are uh, specifically a group of individuals that Timothy was to focus on, and we understand that. Paul was saying, focus on leadership training. But there is a broader scope to this when Christ said that we are to make disciples, to teach them, to observe all that Christ has commanded us. The act of making disciples in Matthew 28 is the act of evangelism. That is going out and telling someone else about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they've come to know Christ as Savior, what do we do with them? Do we leave them as babies in Christ? That's what was somewhat what was going on in Hebrews chapter 5 that we studied a couple weeks ago, that they were not spiritually mature enough to handle the discussion of the Melchizedek priesthood. Or should we help them grow? <clears throat> and the answer is, we know, the next step of teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, as Christ is speaking in Matthew 28, is to teach them how to grow. That's discipleship, how to become more like Christ. So we are to be believers who are discipling other believers. And in order to do all of this, it is important that we take a few moments and we define our terms. Because terms are important, we understand that definitions are important, but it is also we recognize that there is a lot of confusion. Everybody wants to ascribe their own belief as to what discipleship is, what a disciple is, what a discipler is. We want to ascribe our own definitions to these things. And so it's, it's somewhat difficult for us to navigate all of those idiosyncrasies. Libraries of books have been written on how to define discipleship. Yet it seems that there's more talk than action. Have you noticed that? There seems to be more people talking about discipleship than actually doing it. And maybe that's because you don't know individuals like Trotman, who were faithful in the trenches, discipling others, and were quiet. Throughout our series, I'm going to introduce you to a man that is one of my uh, favorite all-time disciplers. Uh, his name is Jim Brown. He is a missionary with Biblical Ministries Worldwide, and he is the best discipler I know. He's discipled literally thousands of men. And you wouldn't have known him, and you wouldn't know him, except that I mention him. But he has discipled well-known figures who serve in highest levels of churches and governments around the world. And you're going to hear much about him. Some of his quotes I'm going to share tonight and in the weeks to follow as well. As I would sit down and as I was beginning to work on a project I had some time ago, he and I would, inter I would interview him and we'd have a conversation of what discipleship really is. So we're going to hear more about that. But definitions are important, and devoting time to them will help provide some needed clarity. And so 
we're going to start here. What is a discipler? A discipler is a person who invests in the lives of another person to show and teach by their example Christ-likeness. A discipler is a person who invests in the life of another person to show and teach by their example Christ-likeness. This is the disciples of Jesus. They would learn from the discipler who would teach them as they would walk literally in his footsteps. And so it is the individual willing to pour their life out into another individual. And that means that's difficult because you've been called to be a discipler. If you're to follow Great Commission instructions, the Great Commission commands, then you will disciple somebody else, which means that there's going to be the opportunity for exposure. Because as you're following after Christ, they have a lens into your life and they see your struggles. They see your strengths and they see your weaknesses. They see your idiosyncrasies, but you are using all of those to point them to Christ, not to you, but to Christ. That is what a discipler does. So what about a disciple? A discipler, we know, is one who invests in the lives of another person to show, teach them by their example, Christ-likeness. What about a disciple? Let's turn over to Matthew, and we're going to look in Matthew in two examples here to kind of help us wrap our minds around this. Matthew chapter 4 in the calling of some of the disciples of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. The scripture there says, beginning in verse 18, While walking by the sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So we have the definition of a disciple. And specifically, as it relates to biblical instruction, the disciple is one who follows the discipler. They're ones who are learning from the one pointing them to Christ. And in this case, it was Christ himself. So the followers of Jesus, they are the disciples. Matthew 9, let's turn over there briefly. Matthew 9 gives us another example. Matthew 9, 14, where the scripture says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do you and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Rather, why do we, that is, the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but not the disciples of Jesus? So these are ones who are following after John the Baptist. They are followers of John the Baptist. And John is going to turn them to Christ eventually. But we recognize that they are followers. They have identified themselves as followers of a certain individual who is to lead them to godliness. When we use the term in the church, we mean this. A disciple has already trusted in Christ as their Savior. In short, he or she is a believer in Christ, is a Christian, and is following other believers to grow in Christ-likeness. So when we think of a discipler, they're teaching Christ-likeness. A disciple is already a believer in Jesus who is growing in their Christ-likeness. These are not difficult definitions for us. They ought not to be difficult definitions for us. We ought easily understand them. Because it's not a complicated process. It's difficult to do, but it is not a complicated process. And so putting those two together, we have a discipler and we have a disciple. Now, what about discipleship? 
One author writes this in providing a definition for discipleship or disciple-making. He says, The process of making disciples involves leading unbelievers to faith in Christ so that they become disciples. That's what we talked about just a moment ago. That is Christians. Disciple-making must not end with a person's conversion, however. It is an ongoing process that encourages the believer to follow Christ and to become more like Him. When we become more like Christ, we mature as Christians, which is the goal of making disciples. So this author has given to us the goal, the ends. We want to get to the end of this. What is the ultimate purpose of discipleship? That is maturity in the things of Christ. That is the end. How do we do that? It's a constant state of growth. One believer pouring into another believer, Christ-likeness. That is discipleship. It is a process. And we must recognize that discipleship is not a one-time meeting that you have in a coffee shop someplace. Discipleship is a, a time commitment. Sometimes it may not be a long commitment, but it is nonetheless a time commitment. It is not a quick goal that we achieve and we get some paper certificate at the end of it saying we have accomplished discipleship. Uh, you don't graduate from discipleship, by the way. You should ultimately continually be growing in the things of the Lord, always looking for others who are teaching you and pushing you forward. Uh, that is one of the great things that we see in the church, in a multi-generational church. There's always somebody who is pushing you on to finish well, to grow well and to finish well. And that is who we ought to be finding, seeking out as our mentors who are discipling us at every age of the Christian growth. We all have rough spots that need to be rounded off yet. And so we are looking ahead. Maybe those have been the testimonies of old who have gone on before us and continue to encourage us and strengthen us. But we nonetheless are looking for a discipler in our life and a disciplee, one that we are discipling to become like Christ. So we must then... Now we have our definitions. This is what we ought to be doing. We understand the roles, the various individuals that participate, but now what about the commands? Is this really that important? Turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. The scripture there says, beginning in verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ leaves his disciples with two commands that form the Great Commission. Make disciples, which is evangelism, as I said a moment ago. And once you have disciples that are followers of Christ, then teach them to be followers of Christ. Discipleship takes place in verse 20. And verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus gave not only a directive, not only instructions to make disciples, but he gave them the instructions on how to make disciples. And it really is this simple. Teach them what Christ taught. We often have this idea that discipleship is a far more sophisticated than it is. In fact, if you pick up most discipleship-making books, you'll read in there some sophisticated system of making disciples, and one of the things you will discover very early on 
is one of the quotes that I share from Jim Brown, that every single discipleship relationship is different. As you get into a discipleship relationship with somebody and you begin to pour into them, you need to let the Lord do the work, not you. You're simply providing the means for that to take place. And so it becomes critically important that the task of discipleship is understood by the discipler as commanded in Scripture. You don't have a choice. This isn't when you get around to it. This is not when you mature enough. You're not waiting for that moment. You say, well, I have arrived in the Christian journey, and now I can become a discipler of people. That is not what you are commanded to do. That is not what the disciples were commanded to do. And can you imagine the disciples sitting on this day, fearful, hidden away until the day of Pentecost, which would come some days later. Christ would reiterate this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he tells them to go to all nations. So the command is reiterated there. And between times, the disciples are not that bold, but they still have the command to obey, and we have this command to obey. Jesus instructed his disciples to go to all the nations, both evangelizing, that is making disciples, and teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded them. The command to teach may appear as if Jesus is calling his disciples to give out instructions. In other words, to do kind of what I'm doing right now, that they would go about preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus and then coming to Christ. Yes, they would do that, but then they would continue to do that and only that. But there's more to discipleship than the dispensing of information. This is certainly important, but there are two elements. There's the formal and the practical elements of teaching. The formal is the dispensing or the the provision of information. The practical is walking together in day-to-day life. Disciples should be those that are brought alongside of us. And they see us when we're hurting. They see us when we're joyful. They see us when things are successful. And they see us in times when they are not successful. Disciples should experience life. Can you imagine what the disciples witnessed when they walked with Jesus? We know a little bit, because we looked into it just a moment ago in Matthew's gospel, we know some of the struggles that John's disciples had. They wondered why Jesus' disciples were different than they were. And so they were wrestling with this, and they were having to walk through this. John, the Baptist, would send some of his disciples to Jesus and ask Jesus if he indeed was the Messiah. John knew that. So we see John allowing his disciples to participate with him even in the struggles that he had in his walk and following the things of the Lord. It is important that we understand that discipleship making is not just to sit down and have a cup of coffee and give out instructions. Well, what are you struggling with? Here's what you should do. But it is more than that. It is coming alongside and walking together in the Christian journey. So, we must identify the goal of discipleship. And this is where I want to spend the majority of our time here tonight. We understand the command. We understand it's important. One of two commands that Christ has left the church with in order for us to be a church that is faithful, in order for us to be a church that is doing what we need to be doing, we must be making disciples. 
There is no other option. So what's the goal? Let's turn over to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. We're not only going to be here, but we're going to bounce out to Ephesians as well. But let's start in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. In fulfilling the command of Christ in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we're told to make disciples to observe all that Christ has commanded us. To obey the command of Christ, we must follow Paul's example and proclaim Christ. So notice what he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, where the scripture says this. He says, Him we proclaim, that is Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What is Paul's goal? Well, the quick synopsis of Paul's goal is maturity. That is what Christ said that we are to be doing. That is what we see Christ working through his disciples towards. It is what we see Paul doing. It is what we see the writer of Hebrews calling the people of God to. We are to be moving towards this goal of maturity in the life of every single believer. Every single believer in the church should be moving towards maturity. Remember when we studied Hebrews chapter 5 a couple weeks ago and we recognized that the writer of Hebrews is chastising the believers that he's writing to because they should have advanced to the point of eating the solid food of the Word of God, but they had not yet arrived there. That is... That is some serious chastening. Can you imagine the writer of Scripture having to call you out for an area where you thought you were doing pretty good? Look at, look at what we're doing. And now he says, but you're still on the milk of God's Word. You need to be digesting the solid food. You're not mature. What would the writer of Hebrews say about the church in the United States today? I think there would be a lot of those who would be still on the milk of the Word of God. So it is important, it is imperative, it is literally an imperative, that we are those who encourage one another through discipleship for maturity in Christ. The instruction that Paul defines really outlines the discipleship process. Notice again what he says here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim. Our message is Christ, warning everyone. Part of discipleship is warning, biblical warning. It's not wise to go this way. It's not wise to follow after those individuals. It's not wise to participate in that action. And then he says, teaching everyone with all wisdom. So not leaving them in a vacuum, don't do, and leaving it there, We say, don't do, and do as I do. And that is really what he says. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We certainly understand that this is God's work. Discipleship is God's work. And that's not opposed to what Paul just said here. But what he said here is we're part of the process. And he recognizes the responsibility of his job as a discipler to proclaim Christ to warn the saints of Christ, to uh, encourage maturity in all wisdom through the proclamation of God's word to those who know Christ. Paul instructs that the goal of his teaching was to present everyone 
mature in Christ. That's his goal. That's the end of discipleship. You have not completed discipleship until that objective has been achieved. Now, you may not have that opportunity. When I look back over my own spiritual journey and the way that God has continued to mold and shape me, I've had different mentors throughout the years. Many of them I go back to. Some of them I was just with this past week, and I continue to be sharpened by them. So they may not see from day one to maturity, but the disciple is the one who has to ensure that they are continually in the process of growing. We're going to get into more of these details later. We just want to understand the goal. And we see all of this then fit together if we turn to the book of Ephesians. Turn back a couple books to Ephesians chapter 4 and listen to what Paul says about this entire process of maturity. He says this, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, he said, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, or craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, unto Christ. Paul has given us what maturity looks like. Maturity looks like one who stands firm against every whim of doctrine. You are not mature in Christ until you stand firm on the word of God against the buffeting winds and waves. It's pretty easy to listen to a preacher or listen to a podcast someplace or to read a book somewhere, even be motivated by music and be tossed from here to there to there. And you hold to this doctrine and then you hold to that doctrine and, and you really don't know what you believe. You really don't know what Scripture says that you should believe. The reason for the church is to prevent that from being the norm. And discipleship is critical to it. We should be those who are pouring in the lives of each other in good, solid doctrine, speaking the truth in love, even when it hurts. And so Paul has given us that instruction. Not only is that is the goal in Colossians chapter 1, but that is the process. It is the process so that we know that it's messy. Discipleship can be messy. If you've raised children, you know that the process of growing Raising children is a messy endeavor. Sometimes you come home and you find things that have happened to your house that you go, how in the world did that happen? You look at a child and you say, how could you possibly make that kind of mess? You're so little. That doesn't seem possible. But as they grow and mature and you begin to watch them develop the habits of maturity, those things no longer take place. Discipleship is the same thing, and it's the same thing in the church. Growing baby Christians to adult Christians is messy. Sometimes they color on the walls. Sometimes they make messes in relationships. Discipleship can be messy. But it is something that is the teaching and the edification and the equipping of the saints so that we are no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that blows. <clears throat> that is the goal 
of discipleship. We have, one author writes this, he says, we have overcomplicated discipleship. We have sought to make it systematic and defined by a series of to-do lists. The best discipler is one who is faithful and diligent in proclaiming the truth of God's word and living it out in holiness and obedience. As I said a moment ago, the best discipler I know is a man who lost his wife three years ago. They were a faithful couple serving the Lord together, but he was not a best-selling author. In fact, he didn't write any books. He hasn't written on discipleship, even in articles, other than in my interview with him. And as I wrote to him a while back on this project that I was working on, he said this. He said, so a discipling relationship is two guys walking together on a spiritual journey and sharing God together. So when I disciple, I do not come with my own agenda. I try to discern what God's agenda is and how I can fit into, uh, fit into what God is doing in the life of the one I'm discipling as I point him to Christ. Right there in one synthesized sentence, volumes of books that fill libraries can't express. Discipleship is not super complicated. There is no system, but there are requirements. The first is willingness. Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, was willing. He was willing to proclaim the truth of Christ. He was willing to proclaim Christ. There is a person to follow. That is Christ. There is a message to preach, which is, again, Christ. And there is the requirements of Christ's likeness, both on the part of the disciple and the discipler. Discipleship is not about making little versions of you. It is about helping people become faithful followers of Christ. In the next few weeks, we're going to continue to unpack the command to make disciples. We'll do so by looking further into this command that we've seen in Colossians chapter 1 and the command in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're also going to do so by continuing to look into Matthew 28. And then we're going to look into examples as well. Those examples of Barnabas and how he would disciple generations of believers to come. When we think of one who's discipled, we often think we need to be thinking of the one that we don't see. When we think of Barnabas and Paul, which one received all the headlines? Paul did. And yet, Paul picked up the habits of Barnabas in discipleship. What Paul tells Timothy to do in 2 Timothy, Barnabas had already exemplified and done. What would motivate Barnabas to continue on with John Mark? John Mark would be a disciple of Barnabas. So efficient was he that even though the struggle between Paul and John Mark was so intense that they would have to split and go two different ways, by the end of Paul's life, he was asking for John Mark to join him. And the reason? Because there is a discipler whose name would quickly dissipate from the pages of Scripture 
and that discipler's name was Barnabas. So we're going to look into Barnabas' discipleship model. We're going to understand that in some detail because that is the one that we're going to see Paul exemplify. And then we'll look into other examples as well as to what is discipleship. But as we start out the new year, as a body of believers at Byron Center Bible Church, what should we be doing to prepare for 2024 and beyond? And the answer to that is we need to be found faithful as disciple makers. There are multiple generations within our fellowship, and I praise God for all of the multiple generations. There's about to be a new one. The new one is coming in a year. Are we going to be ready to pass on the truths of God's word to that generation? One of the frightening elements of all of this is, as we begin to close out this evening and prepare for the next portion of our service, the frightening element is this. It takes one generation for the church to disappear. Just one. Let us be those who are diligent in passing on through discipleship, Christ-likeness, to every generation that we have opportunity to impact. Let me close this portion of our service in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you have chosen to use us. We've done some technical work tonight in looking into uh, definitions and understanding how discipleship should look. And so we've kind of laid the groundwork for us to build on next week. I pray that we would not have become uh, disinterested because of working through some of these foundational early elements of this most critical work, but rather that we would be engaged in every way, having a better understanding and kind of chipping away at this idea that discipleship is complex and sophisticated. Lord, we praise you that discipleship is life on life, one believer investing into the life of another believer to help them grow, to become more like Christ. Lord, we know that it is really, literally just pushing them to Christ in every way, and I pray that we'd be found faithful in doing so. Lord, it is a special night for us as we had a special morning, a way to end the morning service and welcoming new members in, and we want to do that again this evening. And we ask your blessing upon the rest of our service tonight, that your name would be glorified in it, that you would be high and lifted up. Lord, we love you. We praise you for all of these things, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.